Congratulations to Tony Award winner Aaron Tvey. Congratulations. That's right. We're a Riverdale Recap Podcast here to talk about Chapter 94, Next to Normal, by Tessa Leigh Williams, directed by Roland Paul Richard. I was going to say, you know, he kind of gets a mention in this episode. He's a Moulin Rouge, right? Y- yeah. They mentioned Moulin Rouge. <laughs> they mentioned Moulin Rouge in this? Yes. When we get there, I'll remind you when it happens. It happens, though. I mean, he was also Gabe in Next to Normal. Yeah, well, they mentioned Moulin Rouge. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yes, this is far more of a musical episode than I was expecting. Oh, oh, so much more than we ever thought. (laughs) Not only was I incorrect in thinking they wouldn't use songs for for plots outside of uh, the the Cooper family drama, but also the Cooper family A-plot was roughly 75% or more of the runtime. Uh Uh-huh. And and very, (laughs) very little of this episode is actual dialogue. Especially when you're in the Cooper home. Yeah, it's like a sentence or two, and then we are singing. We frame the song, we sing the song, and we we spend as little time framing the song as possible. Yes. (laughs) So, do you want to talk about Next to Normal at all? We've talked about it before. We've talked about Next to Normal. We can get right into it. In fact, the first thing that happens is Betty talking about Next to Normal. Join Betty and the gang in the White Worm. Having uh, complimentary drinks on the house from Fangs. Well, at least Betty is. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, they're all there for Betty. Like, hey, you know, how, how are you doing? How, how, how's your mom holding up? How's the twins? Uh, we find out that Cheryl did kind of steal the twins, but by just, like, offering to take care of them for a few days so, like, Betty and Alice could have a break. So I wasn't, like, totally wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was, like, half right. Cheryl is being a nice aunt, because she is there. I don't know who's watching the babies right this Nana second. Nana Rose, and I they're not Nana. babies. Like, let's remember they're, like, eight. <laughs> they're eight-year-old babies. <laughs> um, But apparently Cheryl, like... You know, they were asking about Polly, so she, like, you know, told them that she's in a better place and, like, took them into the rose garden to hang up a a hummingbird feeder and that, you know, they they can watch for their mom because apparently mom is now a hummingbird. It works for eight-year-olds. Very nice. Very kind. I guess. I'm sure that there are people who are experts who are rolling their eyes, but I'm not one of them. It just seems like you shouldn't trust Cheryl at this time or ever. Cheryl is really into, you know, nature right now. So I guess it makes sense she would believe in reincarnation into animals. She's very spiritual this month. This is true. This is true. Um, But Betty starts to open up about how her mom is not doing good. And she just keeps listening to the next to normal cast album again and again. And they're like, what's that? It's a Broadway musical. We have to, in the story, for the benefit of the the viewer, explain this show, because for the first time we're doing a musical that doesn't have a movie? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even Heathers, which has been out for 30 plus years and is like a cult phenomenon, like you know Heathers even if you haven't watched Heathers, still had a little bit. But Next to Normal has more than a little bit. Yes. So Betty, you know, explains to them how uh, Alice took her and Polly to see it many years ago mm-hmm. in New York. Which, okay, when did it come out again? It uh, it hit Broadway in the 2009 season. 
and ran for I honestly don't know how long. Okay, okay, so it fits the timeline. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess. We can imagine, well, like, wait. middle school Betty. How many years ago was that? That would be ten years ago. Ten years ago, so... So it would no. have been freshman hi, Betty. Hi, freshman Betty. So let's say that it was right before... Right before Polly got knocked up. Yep, right before she got <laughs> sent away to the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Exactly. It's the last happy memory they have of a family. This lines up really well. Oh, okay. Part okay. of why it's such a happy memory as a family is that Hal didn't go. He doesn't... Hal doesn't get to go. It was just the three of them, and it was before everything happened. Okay. Yeah. I had yeah. to make sure that timeline lined up, because I was like, wait, Polly disappears a lot in this whole life. So, like... <laughs> What lines up? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, she explains, you know, what's it about and how it's a mom who wants a perfect family. And she doesn't mention that it's about a mom who's also hallucinating her dead child. She does, you know, point out that one of the kids is dead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At least. But yeah, not the hallucination part. What I love is after she gets done explaining it, Reggie's like, Jeez, Betty. Like, <laughs> who the fuck would go see this musical? What the hell? It's just like, that's a lot. Reggie is the reason that Billy Elliot won the, the best musical Tony that year instead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He really likes the song Solidarity. <laughs> I do not believe that for a second. No, no. He would, he would cross a picket line. Mm -hmm. And he has before, I'm sure. It just hasn't been on screen. Uh, but, but this scene ends with the warm hiss of a, a needle hitting vinyl, because of course, of course, that's the version that Alice has. Yes. Uh, and so we cut to, to Alice in her home, very, you know, dressed up 1960s housewife, mm -hmm, sunshiny mm -hmm. day. Going around cleaning everything. And as is tradition for, I think, all of the Riverdale musical episodes, they start with the big opening number from the show. In this case, Just Another Day. Yep. Uh, it is, I mean, while well, it's a show opener, you're, you're just introduced to the characters as they live their happy, normal life. And then the end of the song is like, oh, you're all, you're all lying to yourselves. Okay, I see what yeah. this is about. She's going around cleaning. And then we are surprised to see... Charles come out mm -hmm. in his football outfit. Yes. And then Polly comes out. His letterman jacket. Letterman not, jacket. He's yes. not in uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she uh, Polly's in uh, her matching cheerleader outfit. We do know Polly was a cheerleader. Yes. That's that's some season one stuff coming back. Do we, we assume Charles was still also football, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? Who what, knows? Who knows what Charles did? He wasn't raised anywhere near here. I'm going to assume... Yeah. He did footballs. He certainly did in Alice's mind. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then Betty joins them in very much like a poodly skirt outfit as well. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's this, this whole montage of happiness in the home until they get to the line of Alice singing, what doesn't kill me? And then the record starts to skip. Mm -hmm, what doesn't mm -hmm. kill me? What doesn't kill me? At, at this point in the song, uh, the whole family is around, you know, the, the sofa in the living room and Alice is sitting in the center seat and she is noticing the, the record skipping and reacting to it while her three children are still doing the choreography and yes. they're, they're uh, snapping their heads back and forth, repeating the same head turn. Yes. Cut back to reality with Betty, you know, stopping the record player, mm -hmm. being like, hey, mom. 
it's it was skipping mom like are you there and all the color is drained like when whenever we're in reality especially when we're in either the the cooper or andrews houses yes the colors are just flat and dull and gray yes and when we are in alice's hallucinations they're very bright yeah, they're very season one, honestly. Very season, yeah. All especially all those season one like flashes to like the '60s type stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then when we're any with any other characters, it's very saturated colors. Yeah, the only time it looks like Riverdale is when we're off of their street. Yeah, honestly. when we're in the side stories that aren't <laughs> like Archie and Veronica. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, when it's not them together, <laughs> <laughs> when it's them apart, it's fine. And so, like. This show has a lot of death. There's almost one dead person per episode on average. Yeah. But you have to remember, this is the only murder to really affect one of the crew's families. The closest thing that's happened is Fred's uh, uh, traffic accident. The Blossoms? They're not... Are they forgetting Jason? They're not part of the core thing. I... Okay. Cheryl's okay. not? What? What? Okay, yeah, Cheryl is core cast. Sure. Uh, so... Also, like... Joaquin, but we ignored that one completely. Even with, you know, we're approaching 100 episodes with so many dead people, it's easy to forget that this is only the third time that it has personally affected one of our main characters. Okay, okay, we're going to backtrack there and change that one up. You reminded me of a third, (laughs) yes. We're counting Cheryl, yes. And, And what happened with all of those? One, the inciting incident of the whole dang show. Two, a heartfelt and and meaningful, maybe one of the best episodes emotionally the show's mm-hmm. ever done. There are, you know, extraneous reasons for that, obviously. Here comes the third, a very serious, heavy episode. I don't know how funny we're going to be this week, folks. There'll be a few moments. <laughs> there will be moments. <laughs> Not a lot, but a few. Alice, with this snapping back to reality, quickly ushers herself out of the room mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. leaves Betty in the wake of a very not clean and pretty house. Nobody's come through with a trash bag in a while. It's good the twins aren't there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so over uh, at the Penbrook, mm-hmm. uh, Veronica and Archie are are climbing into bed for the evening, and they're talking about you know Alice and Betty, and it's very sad, and like all we can do is just you know. Be here for them in case they need us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Veronica's like, hey, Archie, like, what do you think about moving in together? This scene is great. I like this scene because of the way Archie immediately assumes. Because of the way each of them yes. immediately assume that uh, this means moved. the other one will be moving yes. to them. And I, what I love is Archie's like, that's amazing. I just, I'm surprised you would want to live with roommates. <laughs> Because he's got Frank and Jughead and Eric. What I love is we remember that Jughead lives with him in this episode. But we forget about Eric. Is Eric's, Eric Eric's not in this episode, like, at all. I don't even think he's in the big group shots. No. But, like, we have not addressed Jughead still living with Archie since before Jughead, like, left for New York. <laughs> The only, it's been months. The only time it's mattered recently is when uh, his ex flipped his his uh, apartment in the garage. I had totally forgotten that's where his home was at that point. Like there was no reference. But she's like, "What? What do you mean? I thought you'd be coming to you know luxury life in style at the Pembroke." Like, uh, no, Veronica. I have a house. That's paid. His grandfather built that house with his bare hands. Do you not know Archie Andrews? He's never leaving that house. 
I, he is running it as like a lodging house, but like he needs to lodge there too. Yeah. With his lodge. I, I get it. I yeah. Got it. yeah. Uh, so over at the school. Speaking of interesting housing situations. <laughs> so over at the school, Waldo has called Tony in to the office and he's like, we have a problem. The janitor found Britta living in a closet under the stairwell? It's Who like, didn't know a closet was there? It's like poetry. It rhymes. By this point, Waldo, let's let's talk about the leaf you put on leave. Who was homeless and lived in that closet? Were you aware? You didn't even know that closet existed. By this point, that closet door has a mail slot. There's a little kitchenette in <laughs> it there. It has its own zip code. <laughs> so many people live in there occasionally. But yes, Brito was thrown out, uh, and so Tony goes and talks to her about it, and she says that her parents kicked her out for, quote, my deviant gay lifestyle. Yes. Tony introduces her to our good old buddy, Miss Weiss, mm-hmm. who, and they're going to work together to find Britta a loving home. And by adding a character named Weiss, you know they're already laying groundwork for the next musical, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Fuck yeah. But, but yeah, they are immediately jumping to cutting Britta's uh, family out of her life as plan A. Again, I'm not an expert, but I don't think... Like, wouldn't you just talk to the family first? I, I guess they did I'm, try. They tried that last They week. tried. You and know I'm, what? Okay. Uh, you know, if you kick your kid out, if you kick your, like, 14-year-old out... It's true. Fuck they, you. they started it. They started it. Like, us. Back at the Cooper household, mm-hmm. uh, Betty is trying to get Alice to, to leave the house. She's like, hey, you want to go on a hike with me? I'm going to go hike by the river. You want to come? And Alice is coincidentally looking at uh, uh, some other outdoor sports, uh, some old pictures of a ski trip they all took. Yes. Uh, which is when we break into song. Uh, specifically, I Miss the Mountains. Uh, which is about missing the mountains. It's about, you know, skiing, and it's not about skiing. It's, it's not. Uh, this song in the original musical is about the mother missing uh her own mind and feeling. She hates the numbing feeling of her psychological medications. Oh. What what mountains represent in this song, she misses her manic episodes. Oh. And would like to have them again. Well, actually, you know, that fits. That yeah. still fits. Yeah. Because, like, Alice, this ain't you. <laughs> you usually have manic episodes. <laughs> she had a two-season-long manic episode. <laughs> and then we chilled. It really skewed our perceptions of Alice Cooper. But really, every time we've seen Alice this whole season, or at least since the time skip, she's been falling deeper and deeper into this crisis that seeing her daughter's dismembered body clearly has tipped even further. They're somewhere below rock bottom, apparently. Yes. This this song is very, like, oh, it's heart-wrenching because, like, Mm -hmm. there's also this point where, like, Betty joins in and the the line is all about how, you know, I miss my mother. Mm-hmm. And it's just pulls at your fucking heart. That part is original to Riverdale. Uh-huh. That, that is not in Next to Normal. Well, good fucking job. Because, like, I was like, oh, my God. In, in the original show, it is a solo song. Uh, those lines are originally, I miss my life rather than I miss oh. my mother. Well, they both sing that. They, they, it does eventually go to I Miss My Life. That's mm-hmm, how the mm-hmm. song ends. But great addition for, like, the way they did it mm-hmm. for this episode. And it's really what, like, draws you in with, like, fuck. This is <laughs> yeah. going to be a lot. Yeah. And then you get the title card and you're like, I don't, I don't know how we're going to do this one. <laughs> 
So after the title card, we are, uh, thankfully for us, introduced to another B-plot. Yes! It's... Jokes can come back in the room. Come, come back in. All right. So, so Tabitha has her parents in town, and she is giving the grand tour of Pops and, like, all the things she's updated, and she's, like, so excited and waiting for her parents to, like, be like, whoa, this is amazing, and it's just fucking silence from them. Uh, her father has forsaken the, the family business. He does not deserve the name Tate. No, because she's like, oh, you know, I'm thinking we should, you know, eat here tomorrow night for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, no, 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 we made reservations. At the same old Italian restaurant we, we've been to a few times over the years. Yes. Cucina Sukasa. But she's like, Dad, like, you used to hang out here, like, all the time. Don't you want to eat here at least once while you're here? And he says, no, he ran away from this place as fast as he could, as far as he could. Well, maybe not as far as he could. There's farther places than Chicago. He didn't go to Amsterdam. So she she agrees to meet them tomorrow at, like, whatever time. And she's like, Jones, does that work well for you? And he's like, uh, sure. <laughs> Free food works for me? Hell yes. And Dad's like, why would your busboy come with us? Oh, I think you mean my boyfriend, Dad, and oh, they are <laughs> oh, shocked. Oh, oh, Jughead's face during this. He's is also so, a little shocked. It's so good. It's been a hundred episodes. Let's do some sitcom shit. Go it's on. so good. And so after they've left, you know, they have a little conversation about like, your parents are really intense. Um, and I'm your boyfriend now. And I'm- she's like, oh, you're my buffer. You know, we're going to pretend. He's like, okay, yeah, but, like, you could just ask me to be a real boyfriend. Like, I'd be cool with that. I think we'd both be cool with that. <laughs> but she's like, oh, no, 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 not at this point. Not, no, I, I can't. And then they burst into song. Uh, perfect for you. This is a song that is really close to how it's used in the musical. They're, the the daughter in this central family gets hit on, essentially, by a laid-back stoner at her high school who tries to convince her that... You are dateable. You don't don't let your your uh, defensive perfectionism get in the way of having a smooch friend. I could be that smooch friend. Yeah. Here, okay. So first off, Cole Sprouse still singing. Still what? singing. Didn't, couldn't back out. What What were your thoughts on this? <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> The, the entire post-time skip, we've been waiting for this to happen, right? For them to be a sp- official smooch friends. I'm such a fan of Jugatha. <laughs> I am such a fucking fan. I'm not a fan linguistically. <laughs> I think there's better names out there. I haven't found it yet, so we're going with Jugatha. <laughs> fucking adorable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. adora bull. And she sings quite well, actually. Yeah. She's one of the better singers. It's it's just very cute, and they 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 smooch. They have their smooch. In fact, this might be the best sung of the four uh, uh, of the four big musical episodes. Yes, this is totally. I think the best song of the four. Completely, it might help with the what the material is. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it's also they use a lot more like shorter segments of songs, yes. and it's focused on less. People? There are 16 songs in this episode. They cut them down real slim in a few cases. Yes. Can can I be mean for a second? Sure. One thing that makes this uh, a better song on average, Madeline Petch is not in a lot of it. Uh-huh. Oh, she is the most digitally treated of the singers always. Yes. Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. They're still using that. Of course. But... 
everybody does all the time. Yes, like all the time. It's just Const- a matter of... It's why of... people like shit on people at live performances. Well, yeah, there's not always going to sound... It's live. Everything is augmented. It's just a matter of, of what technique and how how much what, you can tell. And what your budget is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it worked like this type of music be- mm-hmm. works better. And it's probably a lot more in the range of people. Mm-hmm. Not to say it's like easy music to sing, but like some of the other stuff has been very beltier, bigger, yeah, flashier. Mm-hmm. This is a different type of musical. Right, right. While we're talking about the technical aspects of the singing, uh, Polly and Charles are in a a number of these numbers. Yes, singing. However, if you look at the singing credits in the the soundtrack album that was released, those actors' names are not in the credits. They they were replaced with Jackie Lee, runner-up to one of the seasons of The Voice, and Ryan Robbins, singer of All American Rejects. Yes, he dubbed for Ch- for Charles. What? Yes. I love the whole American Rejects. <laughs> well, you just heard some deep cuts. What? Goodness. And this is from the cast recording. Yes, I don't so we... know if that's true in the episode, but if you are listening like to the yeah. album on Spotify or whatever, those are the voices you're hearing. Hmm. Those two plus all the regulars. Everyone yeah. else is the actual actor on screen. Yeah. Our next scene mm-hmm. uh, is back at the Cooper household, and and Alice is playing the piano, uh, and flanked by her daughters. Yes, and and they are singing together. They're singing the song "Everything Else." This is in the original show. The daughters solo about her perfectionism as a refuge from the madness around her, and also her own fear that hey. Mental illness runs through the family. Look at how... Look at your mom. That could be you in five years. These songs hit really close to the storyline of the Cooper household. (laughs) But instead, it's rearranged to be a happy, delusional moment of Alice and her daughters. Yes. But it's... That still connects. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Which I think I think that's part of what actually makes this really interesting is you start to like learn what the songs are actually about and how like what they actually are totally fits the history of them in this show. Mm-hmm, it's very mm-hmm. interesting. One more note on the song itself. Uh, you can't say, quote, flat fucking crazy on the CW. No. So that line about Mozart got switched to a, to a different, yeah. to a different line about Mozart. Yeah. They don't really <laughs> like it. If you say that, <laughs> then Betty comes home and she's like, mom, where'd you get the piano? Turns out Glamazon sells pianos. <laughs> I hope that's eligible for free delivery. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Like, free delivery and, like, set up, like, they'll unpack it for you. It's like, what, they just leave it on your stoop and then you have to get a whole fucking piano inside on your own? It's not a grand, it's, it's a... Those pianos are still fucking heavy! Yes, yes. There's a lot of wire in there. There's no getting around it. It's a lot of wood, it's a lot, they're heavy! Uh, she would not have been able to move that herself. Well, it's a good thing her son and her daughter were home. (laughs) What we find out, though, is that um, Alice is thinking about how she used to give Betty and Polly piano lessons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, she she is regressing to a lot of old memories. Yes. Trips to New York, ski trips, piano lessons. Yes. Betty's like, well, let's, let's get you out of the house. Veronica invited us over for dinner. Yeah. She's like, no, I'm cooking tonight. Polly's favorite meatloaf for all of us. Who's the all of us? Yeah, this this is, is when, like, Betty starts to really 
worry. This is the first hint that that Betty has gotten in these few days, that we've gone from uh, lost in memories and grief to actual delusions. Yes. Uh, So over at that dinner (laughs) that Veronica's having, we just love awkward dinners. This scene starts great. I do love an awkward dinner. And this one, oh, it's so good. It ends, mm, I don't know about the ending, but the beginning and the middle, strong stuff. Veronica is, um... She's got a whole spread out. It's a candlelit dinner of stuffed chicken that she's made. Uh, Chicken cordon bleu. She wraps it tight, just like the Barefoot Contessa said. We can say Barefoot Contessa on this show? Well, she said her actual name. She is serving this meal to Archie, Frank, and Jughead. And this is when I was really like, oh my god, we remember Jughead lives here. Where's Eric? Where's Eric? Where's Eric? Where's the dog? Um, That's a good question. Where's Pinko? I guess he's with Eric. She says the name of the barefoot foot contestant, and they're like, who? I would also not get I had that. no idea who she was talking about. But they don't get it when she says barefoot contestant. Still don't know. Still have no idea what she's talking about. Um, but dinner is interrupted by uh, the boys getting a call to for a fire. Yeah. So Frank and Archie run off. They're apologetic and she's like, "No, you you go be a superhero. That's my man." And they they rush out and they they say their goodbyes and they they really wish they could stay and eat this yeah. delicious meal. I oh god, I love this shot so much. Yeah. With Veronica just sitting at the head of the table once they're gone and just sighing. Because her perfect housewarming meal is ruined and nobody really cares. And as the camera pulls out, we see Jughead is still there. And he's just like, uh, I'm going to go eat in the garage. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. (laughs) I like to think that this is the first time that they have been alone in any place. In like eight years minimum. Eight to ten years. It was amazing. Like, what if they've never been alone in the same room before, ever? I can't recall. Honestly, it doesn't happen a lot. It really doesn't. Not like, not like alone. Not like just the two of them. No. So fucking awkward. I love it. It's amazing. And then it just turns to shit. I hate time. it. Veronica hate needs it. a song, too. Veronica gets to sing this... Superboy and the Invisible Girl. Darling, tell us about this song before I tell you what it's originally about. Okay, well, first off, I need to say that I hate absolutely everything to do with Veronica's plot. Yeah. From here on out. Hate it all. I like it at the end, honestly, but we'll talk about that then. Like, none of it. None of it. I don't like any of it. I was so happy with her previously, I'm not anymore. (laughs) Uh, So so this song... She ran out of husbands to kill and we're done with it. In this show, or in this episode, in this moment, this song is all about how, you know... You know, her boyfriend, Archie, is Superman and doing all these things. And she's just the invisible girl that's left behind. And her life is so awful. And, like, she doesn't want to be a housewife or have any of this. Like, what is her life? They didn't set the fire on purpose, lady. Calm down. Exactly. Like, you're mad at him because he had to go put out a fucking fire in the town? He was as polite and caring as a person could possibly be while having to save lives. Like, oh, woe is me. My boyfriend has a job. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) He's got, like, at least five. And she has three. So... (laughs) What? So, uh, originally, in, in the Broadway show Next to Normal, Superboy and the Invisible Girl is... 
uh, one of the daughter's big belting solos about her feelings of feeling overshadowed uh, by her dead brother. And how can you ever measure up to that uh, I- idealized image of what could be when you are saddled with all the messiness of actually existing in real life? Wow. Yeah. And we got... I'm so ignored by my boyfriend because he had to go and put out a fire again. Man, woe is me. If we're in the middle of a story where Veronica is being, like, entitled and selfish and really petty, this works. But that is not the Veronica we've seen the last uh, uh, five weeks or so. She just took out her father to, like... Yeah. Because her boyfriend was dying. We've been with top of the world, take no shit, Veronica. This is not, this is a mismatch. It it doesn't fit, it doesn't work. what pisses me off the most, Veronica, it was your fucking idea to move in together. Yes. To combine your lives. You don't like that. Maybe you should have thought more about it. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And I, it gets worse later on. Honestly, I get even more mad later <laughs> on in other scenes because of the conversation and things she says. I just think that this song is so out of place. Just in the how they tried to fit this song into oh, a plot is just it's reminiscent of uh, uh, last year, uh, last season. Honestly, it's character assassination. Actually, yes, it's it doesn't do anything good. It's a it's a great song. Mm-hmm. Itself, like it sounds great, but like the song. Yeah, I'm not gonna say Veronica. If you were to listen to it in the album, yeah, but it's so awful, and you can just tell that it was like you asked me shortly after this, like, oh, can you tell what songs like are close to what the show was and what wasn't? I was like, that one wasn't. That definitely wasn't. <laughs> I have not listened to any part of Next to Normal, but that one wasn't. <laughs> it's it's okay. You've. It's only been, like, 13 years. It's fine. You'll find the time. I'll get there. So, so back at uh, the, the Coopers, mm-hmm. uh, Alice is having her wonderful Mother's Day dinner with Charles and Polly. Very, again, pastels, 60 style. The food on the table, there's, like, one of those molded jellos. Like, all everything fits. And they are literally dancing around the, the kitchen to, to set the, the place settings. It is choreographed. It is a big, bouncy tune called It's Gonna Be Good. Mm-hmm. This is another one that's sort of reversed, but also works. This is a near solo by the father. And his whole thing in the show is trying to paper over the cracks and force... The image of, you know, the happy average suburban family. Yeah. Whereas we're flipping it. It is now the the wounded uh, mother who's doing that and projecting that out into the world because that is her symptom rather than her coping mechanism. Yes. Um, and they are uh, interrupted by Betty coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alice is like, isn't this so nice? All of us here together. Oh, fuck. So it's pretty clear what's going on now. Betty's figuring it out. She's got that FBI mind working. There's no way that she and her mother are going to eat all those dinner rolls. There's so many dinner rolls for two people. We get the impression that, like, the food is all real. Like, that's not, like, part of it. Like, she really went all out like there were people here to feed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so Betty's like, you're freaking me the fuck out, Mom. Here's Polly's urn. I'm going to pull it from my bag. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just going. Put it right there on the table. 
just go in hard mode. Like, yeah, there's... <laughs> might help. We are speed running this right here. And then she uh, goes into her next song, which is another one that's originally from the, the father of the, the family in the show. He's not here. I mean, tra- changed to she's not here yes. with, with the new plot. But it is, I mean, it's, it's what the name implies. Yeah. It's Betty singing to Alice that Polly's not here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Neither is Charles. She doesn't even know her mom is hallucinating Charles. Well, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's just in jail. You could visit him. You did it before. It kind of led to him having a weird uh, stabbing-based wedding in your living room, but you have visited before. You have a son-in-law. Who you thought was your son. (laughs) I love this family. (laughs) Sometimes they forget that uh, Betty's grandfather was also a serial killer, the Riverdale Ripper, but I haven't forgotten (laughs) I just want a family tree. <laughs> Make some art. Their family tree is chopping down all the other family trees. That's the problem. Yeah. The the end of the song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he's like, hey, I have an idea. Why don't we go into the city and see a Broadway show? I think that would be good for us. Because musicals make everything better. It's working this week. Yes. But uh, a touch that I really liked, actually, uh, is when the urn comes out, mm-hmm. Polly and Charles stand up and walk out. They, they don't, yes. like, disappear in a cut yeah. or even, like, a special effects dissolve. They get up and go. There, there's this wonderful shot of where Alice looks between the urn and them a few times, and that's mm-hmm. as it's happening. And you can tell she's being, like, brought out of her yes. hallucination. Yes. But, again, not to the point that she suddenly doesn't believe they're here. <laughs> I just want to shout out Ronald Paul Richard, the director of this episode. This is his first director's credit on anything ever. Oh my god. Uh, He's been a camera operator and a director of photography and a lighting director on Riverdale and a lot of other shows for years and years, but this is his first time as director. Good job. And he acquits himself well. Like, there is... It's not as flashy or as neon as Riverdale often is. That's clearly a choice. He's the one who made it neon all those times. But, like, there are moments that really stick out well. Like, good good job, dude. I have to, like, okay, not to make fun of his name or something, but, like... It is names, three first names. Well, who names their kid Ronald Richard? Like, I understand why he goes by the Paul. <laughs> Ronald Paul Richard works better than Ronald Richard. He's got good creative instincts in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so over at Andrew's household... Uh, Veronica wakes up very upset to an empty bed. Mm-hmm. Looks very sad and disappointed. Because he's is... still out, I guess, fighting fucking fires. And this is the second subplot that decides to have some sitcom hijinks. Oh my god, that's so good. Okay. So so she she then hears, like, noise in the bathroom. And so she's, she's going to surprise her big hunk of burning love. And she's, like, opening the door saying, Didn't see you come in last night, Mr. Inferno. And it's Jughead... Brushing his teeth at the sink, and she's like, oh my god! And then Frank... <laughs> he turns and is just like, hey. And then, yeah, Frank is in the shower while Jughead's brushing and his teeth. pulls open the shower curtain and is like, hey. And then, like, lifts it up to hide his shame. And it's like, hey, Jug, pass me a loofah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe if she sang the song now. Because, like, this kind of feels like disrespect of her home, even though they were here first. They were here first. She is the lady of the house. Well, she shouldn't be walking in on people in the bathroom without knocking and asking who's in there. Two slights is better than one, I guess. This, okay, this would make more sense because this would, yes, be a second strike. It would also, like, 
make more sense in her questioning just the fact that they she decided to move in with him and his roommates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If it went more that route of like, oh man, this isn't going to work for me, it'd be a little better. Then, yeah, oh yeah. my gosh, it's, my firefighter boyfriend has to go save people. It's too bad there isn't a show in Next to Normal called I Need My Personal Space, because that might have fit a lot better. Uh, but yeah, Archie is not here. He slept over at the station. He took the night watch so that some other dudes could take a break and have some time at home with their families. Yeah, yeah. Because like, Archie's a goddamn hero. He's well, so fucking and, selfless. And Frank's literally telling her this and like, yeah, he's such a good dude, isn't he? <laughs> and she's mad. Yeah, he's so good at ignoring me. This was the beginning of our, our like household of bliss. Okay, so I have to think about the fact here, too, though, that this implies that Jughead's little condo in the over the garage does not have a bathroom. Most garages don't. Well, is it just an apartment in the garage? It's in the garage. It's, in. it's, it's, it's not like over, it's in. It's his the, old studio. Nobody has parked a car in that garage since, uh, uh, since Archie's dad turned it into a music studio that never got used. So... It only got used for fake FBI informing to a fake FBI agent. Interesting setup, though, because Jughead has to come inside all the time, mm-hmm, but I mm-hmm. guess it works. Um, I do like the implication that, like, Jughead and Frank are just buddies. Yes. They're like, yeah, whatever. Yes. And Here's uh, a loofah, dude. And Eric is walking the dog. Every scene Every that happens, day. Eric is, like, at the dog park. That's why we don't see either of <laughs> them. He just loves that dog so fucking much. I think it's interesting, though, this scene reminds me that, yeah, Archie owns this home. Yeah. He's the man of this house. He sleeps in his high school bedroom. Yeah. The master bedroom is still Fred's. I don't think anybody sleeps in that room. Frank? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe Frank. Maybe uh, uh, Eric, because he's the only one that didn't have a personal relationship with Fred. Maybe that. <laughs> he's the only one that wouldn't feel weird sleeping in that room. Yeah. But yeah, Archie sleeps, which Archie and Veronica. Yes. Did they have a bigger bed? Did they still just have a twin in they there? They got a twin bed, baby. They're making it work. Why do you think she hates it here? They got a twin bed. Uh, well, maybe you all should have taken more time to prepare the house for you to move <laughs> it. Like, you have your apartment still. She has $8,000 in furniture per square foot. Come on. I'm sure it's still there. Like, why not just slowly mm-hmm. prepare the house for you to move in together. It would be the first time that house has seen a matching dining set since Grandpa built it with his own two hands. What's a matching dining set? Veronica! She has several. <laughs> matching furniture? What? Crazy. Uh, so over at uh, the cult that is not so much a cult anymore, because apparently Cheryl has lost all of her followers, which Penelope rubs the fuck in. Uh, to which she replies, quote, Forget your cruelty, mother. I'm praying. <laughs> you know, Penelope takes more digs, and she's like, No, no, no. My ministry is real. My god is Gaia. And I see... Oh, and now I see it. My devil is you. Oh, my Whoa. devil is you. And before Penelope can get out a nightmare child, Cheryl is scooping up a goblet of holy maple water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By this point, the song has already started. Yes. And two, uh, there's this amazing little camera move. Like, Cheryl snatches that chalice out like a fucking cobra strike. And when her arm is in motion, the camera follows her hand for just this quick little uh, uh, toward the right to, to, like, emphasize the snatch. Yeah. 
usually it's Cheryl's uh, costuming that emphasizes the snatch, but in this case, yeah, I was expecting a bigger guffaw. <laughs> That's the sort of one that thing that usually gets you. Nah, not that time. Sorry, it's because you were expecting it too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this song. It's it's called uh, "Didn't I See This Movie." Cheryl sings about how she saw the movie and the demon looks like you to her mother. Well, throughout it, she's dipping her fingers in the maple honey holy water and just going. <laughs> Flick right on her mom's face. And her and, mom's like, eh, And Penelope eh, is actually recoiling eh. as if she's a vampire or something. Or a cat. Either way. I don't know. Definitely a cat. She definitely transforms into a cat. <laughs> I believe this. So, yeah, th- this song is full of allusions to, you know, all sorts of demonic horror movies. You know, Rosemary's Baby and, and you know, The, the Exorcist and, and all these sorts of uh, evil devil cults. Yes. Didn't I see this movie in the uh, musical Next to Normal? is about uh, the mother's uh, fear and apprehension and initial refusal to do electroconvulsive therapy. And the movies she's singing about are One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and, and other horror movies about, like, institutionalization. Oh, you know, I see why they had to change the lyrics, because they... neither Penelope nor Alice don't believe in that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an almost total lyrical swap in order to, to have a different vein of movie to fit a totally different plot. I mean, they sent their children off to basically have electroshock therapy. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't happened. Did it, did it happen and I'm just forgetting? Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Like, you know they were doing that shit. The, yeah, but did it happen on screen? I don't think so. I feel like it was or implied. Maybe, or maybe Cheryl was about to before Tony Cheryl rescued her. Cheryl was totally about to. I think so. I think so. they were preparing her. Yeah. And it's like implied that that's what they do there. Yeah, yes. Um, but this ends... So basically, this song came a few seasons too late, is yes. what you're saying. Okay, yes. okay. Uh, so Cheryl ends by just chucking all of the maple holy water in her mom's face and saying, Toodaloo! <laughs> Toodaloo! As Penelope runs off like she is burning, because she is a cat vampire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, I was mean earlier, but I think that these are some of the best songs that Cheryl sings. Yes. Because they're giving her lower parts. They're giving her songs written for an alto singer, yes. for a middle-aged woman, rather than the big soaring high notes that she very much, Cheryl, in character, seizes uh, to be the leading lady in previous years. Yeah. You know, it always works better when you actually give someone something that's more in their range. Yes. Yes. Just go say. Over at uh, Posh and Pearls, Pearls and Posh, whatever, yeah. PP. We're checking out uh, We're checking out Reggie's PP. <laughs> That one? The snatch joke was way better. <laughs> so Veronica is helping him study because uh, he is um, planning to become a licensed stockbroker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so he's preparing for his test. And he is nailing these flashcards. And he's like, boom, mantle the magnificent for the win. <laughs> so I love they, him. So they start talking about the future and Reggie's talking about... Uh, how he's going to have a swanky apartment, swanky apartment in the city. Penthouse view, top trader on Wall Street. And Veronica, for the first time ever, someone in this world is jealous of Reggie Mantle. That is her life. She wants that life so bad. Then go fucking do it. Like, whatever. And she already did. So, and I mean, you weren't happy. She, she wasn't happy because she was married to Chad. He's dead. She could be happy doing that now. New York is 15 minutes away. I mean, part of why she... train. Part of why she was so unhappy is Chad made her stop. She did love it. New York is 15 minutes away by train. You're rich enough that you can have two homes. 
Yeah. Archie's home is paid off. You guys could like go back and forth. The neighborhood where all of her jewelry uh, uh, customers live is meant to be a commuter exurb to New York City. Uh-huh. It's not impossible. I don't understand why this is... I'll never have that life. Well, but... she'll never have that life if she wants to cohabitate with Archie. Because Archie is never leaving the home his grandfather built. But Archie doesn't need to leave. She can come back and forth. And you know what? I think you'll be perfectly happy. The problem with this plot, and maybe this is a character note that I just disagree with, and maybe it's just an oversight in the writing. I don't know. But the problem is that Veronica assumes if she's going to be with Archie, she has to be a housewife. When Archie makes no sign of that being, you know, something he wants at all. And later in this episode, spoiler, he even says, I'm never going to hold you back. Yeah. Veronica's problem is she's treating Archie like Chad, and Archie's not Chad in any conceivable way. Archie's got enough hobbies and jobs to keep him busy while you go away for, like, three days. You're fine. So, yeah, Veronica's problem is a problem of her own creation. Yes! Fuck, piss me off! The more I think about it, I have less uh, positive to say about this plot, even when (laughs) we get to the end, where, on initial watching, I liked how it ended. No. No, okay. Uh, so, um... Betty is telling Alice about the plans for New York as they're getting ready to head out the door. Like, hey, I got tickets for Moulin Rouge. There it is. There it is. There it is. Congratulations, Aaron Tvey. I told you they mentioned Moulin Rouge. Uh, Do you think they're big Tvey heads? Is that why that's the show she picked? I think so. I like to think that they they saw him. Yeah. And so they're going to go again. Oh my goodness. It fits with the timeline because this is current. This is supposed to be right now. Except COVID doesn't exist in their world. Well, I mean, it's the shows are coming back. Broadway's back, baby. Mm -hmm. It was the theme of the Tony ceremony. Broadway's back. Beetlejuice is back on stage, but that's not what they went to see. They got Moulin Rouge tickets. Yes. There's a connection here. (laughs) I like this. This is good. Yes. But she also got their tickets for Tram Track. Uh, to, they're, t- they're taking the train. They're taking the train. Well, two business class tickets to go 15 minutes. <laughs> well, she doesn't want to hitchhike. Uh, there are a lot less truckers on the road <laughs> since she killed the murder men. Um, but when she says two tickets, Polly suddenly appears coming down the stairs and is like, why two? You're leaving me behind? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Alice is... is very conflicted and torn to Polly, and the whole time Betty's like, it's just a memory. It's not real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As, as Polly sings at her. As Polly and Charles break out into I'm Alive, this is one of the songs I said to watch out for last week. It is a song where Gabe, the dead son in the show, asserts himself as a real-life uh, Pinocchio real boy. boy. Uh, but he sings not only from that perspective, but also he's clearly the voice of her guilt and grief and manic depression and and all of her uh, uh, assorted, you know, mental illnesses and symptoms. Uh, and, and A real boy wouldn't say some of these lines like, I, I am pain. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Betty then joins in with, they don't exist, but I do. This transitions uh, right to, I am the one, another one of the songs I said uh, uh, to watch out for. It's interesting that in Riverdale's Next to Normal, Betty mostly takes the role of the father of the family, mm-hmm. uh, or a mix of the father and the daughter, mm-hmm. while uh, uh, Alice takes primarily the mother, obviously, but also every member of the family, uh, their songs turn into Alice songs, at, at least yeah. a little bit at some point along the way. Yeah. Um, and then Alice snaps at her that 
but you weren't here. Yeah. I begged you to stay and you left for seven years. And when you came back, everything started with Polly. She died because of you. I mean, that that's human pattern recognition in all too depressing and stark a light, right? Uh, if something went bad, it's because of the last big change I noticed beforehand, even if there may not have been a causal link at all. Yeah. We see that sort of thinking that is so easy to fall into cause so, so many problems in the world. Yes. And in this case, it's blaming one daughter for the death of another. Yes. And so Betty leaves. Yeah. Because that's that's what you do. That's what you need to do during that. And this idea that Betty isn't there every single day. Betty was gone is one of the biggest differences between Alice's plot in this episode and the actual show next to normal. Mm -hmm. That and, you know, the whole story about one treatment after another. But uh, uh, this gap, like, you can't say those words. You can't say those words and have them mean the same thing Yeah, that the characters in the show did because you were gone. You went to college and did you come back straight after college? No, you didn't. You promised, but you fucking lied. Yeah. There were too many serial killers outside Riverdale. What? You ran out? There aren't enough serial killers here for you, (laughs) Betty? Uh, so, uh, over at Pops, uh, Jughead is leaving, uh, mm-hmm. his shift when a man in a car very shadily is like, hey, Jughead. It is Mr. Tate in his massive antique Rolls Royce. Yes. I don't know what he does, but he does pretty well for himself doing it. Join me for a second in my car. And his whole point is, hey, maybe you, you come down with a cold or something. You don't come to, to our family Mother's Day dinner. Uh, she's out of your league, you celebrity best-selling author, you. And Jughead's like, you remind me a lot of Hiram Lodge. I don't know who that is. I don't watch Real Housewives. (laughs) Okay, wait, wait. Here's the thing, here's the thing. He grew up in Riverdale. Yes. He went to Pops. He is roughly the same age as Hiram. Wouldn't they have gone to high school together? Maybe he did. Maybe he just hung out in different circles. From that, w- you- he knew him as Jaime Luna. Oh, he was he. They they overlapped during that when he yeah. was under the different age. Yeah, or is this just a continuation of how no one knows who Hiram Lodge is? Mate, this was also when Southside High existed. Maybe he went to Southside High. We know that Riverdale has a long history of segregation. Southside High back in that generation might have been the black school. This is true. Okay, I'm I'm more okay with this now. I mean, I'm not okay with segregation, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> Editor's note, not okay with segregation. Okay with that. That's not what I meant. I meant I am more okay with this him not knowing Hiram Lodge things. I was like, what? Okay. He doesn't live in New York. He doesn't know who the New York governor's friends are. He lives in Illinois. As, as Drughead's getting out, he's like, grab a swellagrina for the road. <laughs> and you're like... Jughead, don't drink that. Don't take that. It's sparkling fucking water. But like Riverdale-fied. I didn't connect Swellagrino and Pellegrino. (laughs) I thought it was some like fancy like distilled wine or something. (laughs) The closed captioning was busted and I missed it. I really thought from like the Foley. Well, I didn't even see that on the closed caption. Exactly. It was busted. I thought from the Foley of the glass bottle... When I hear glass bottle, I, my brain thinks... Very expensive sparkling mineral water. Okay, all right. <laughs> a swellagrino. I mean, that would have been, like, a really shit-ass move if, like, somehow 
Daddy Tate knew mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that he was an alcoholic and was like, here you go. <laughs> so so back at the Andrews household, uh, Archie comes home um, after a long day. Veronica's in bed. She's like, hey, I want to I check in about us. Mm-hmm. Where do you see us and you in five years? Uh, and he can tell something the fuck is up because he's like, well, Veronica, I wouldn't want to hold you back. For many opportunities, and but... And we're just laying groundwork for the next, next musical, the last five years. <laughs> it's like, but in my heart of hearts, I see myself in Riverdale. Is that a threat? Five more seasons? <laughs> it's like, is that a deal breaker? She's like, oh, of course not. I just think it's good that we talk about these things. You're not fucking talking about it. He not... talked about it. You didn't say shit. Yeah, yeah. I hate Veronica on this episode. I absolutely <laughs> hate it. Everything. She doesn't want her life without the high-powered job, and she doesn't want the high-powered job without the lifestyle. She can still have that lifestyle. They can still... She has enough fucking money... For a second house, yeah, yeah. That they... Do you think Archie really would be against, like, going to the city for a few days here and there throughout the month? No. He, like, sure. Hop on that train. I'll go visit you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some you come pe- back here all the time. Some people walk there. Let's remember... Commuters! There's people who commute to the city every fucking day! I cannot imagine Veronica Lodge on a train, though. No, but that's how close it is. If Veronica Lodge was on the CTA, she would, like, take out Kleenex and lay them on the seat. Would she be one of those people that walk around with, like, a newspaper and then sit on it? Yes! Do you do you really touch your butt that much that, like, your your butt can't touch the seat? Well, Archie touches that butt so much. She wants to make sure it's safe. Yeah. She cares about the boy. Uh, so over at the, uh, Fogarty Topaz household. Yes. Tony has no time for lasagna. Uh. That's my only note in this scene. Tony (laughs) has no time for lasagna. She has no time because she has been busy trying to find a place for Britta to live. And it is not going well. And Fangs is trying to get her to take a break to eat lasagna that he made because Mm -hmm. he's very sweet. He's like feeding baby... Yes. He comes up with the idea, though, of like, well, there is someone you could ask who has a lot of space that could take Britta in. What about Cheryl? Cheryl already has two kids. Also, how fucked up you want Britta to be? (laughs) That is not a healthy home. (laughs) You know what? It can't be worse than the people who kicked her out. Tony lived in that home. She knows how bad it is. She ate her cousin. Britta is a wayward lesbian. Cheryl will love it. Cheryl will treat her so well. It is all she wishes in the world. The only thing worse than being treated well by Cheryl is being treated badly by Cheryl. The only good path is to be ignored by Cheryl. <laughs> Back at school, Kevin is is in the music room and, and Betty comes in. He's going to be so jealous when he finds out everyone else has been doing a musical without him. <laughs> he gets to join in now. Uh, so, so Betty has come to, you know... Have sex, I guess. It's the music room. What else do you do there? (laughs) To have a friend to talk to, uh, about her mom, about what is going on, and how she doesn't know how to help her or handle this grieving, and they sing about it. They sing I've Been. Uh, this is a song from the father's perspective about helping the the mother, uh, through her, uh, ECT treatments and also the amnesia that follows. That is a major act two plot. Uh, the mother gets amnesia following her electroconvulsive therapy. We don't get that in this. No. No. Either of those things. No. (laughs) 
Um, and and Kevin is there to to pep talk her, to support her. Yeah, that's how this show treats that song. Yes. It's a very nice thing to actually see, like, their friendship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because we get so little of it. Kevin does more of his supportive coaching, guiding thing uh, with the song Make Up Your Mind slash Catch Me, I'm Falling. One of my problems with this episode, one of my few problems, honestly, I, I rather like this one on the whole. There are so many songs that a, a lot of them get chopped up way too small. Yeah. Uh, Catch Me, I'm Falling, they could have done the whole damn thing and found a way to make it work, and it would have been a stronger scene. Yeah. In the, sh- in the original show, uh, the Make Up Your Mind part is a therapy session between the mother and her therapist. The Catch Me, I'm Falling refrain is shared from her and also the whole cast as they go through their personal feelings on different parts of the stage, representing, you know, them wherever they are in space and in their various plots and journeys. Yeah. And Riverdale does a little of that, too. There are a lot of people who are currently falling and could use a catch. Yes. Veronica Mm -hmm. and Tony. Yes. So then, uh, it is dinner time Mm -hmm. with Tabitha and her parents. At at Cucina Sukasa. And and Jughead isn't there, and they're like, oh, well, where is he? And Daddy Tate is all like, well, he's probably scraping ketchup off the tables. Mm -hmm. Because he's an asshole. Wouldn't it make more sense to say gum? Yes. Ketchup ain't hard to scrape, especially on those, like, linoleum top tables. And so they get into a fight where she's like, well, I know you're all just mad that I, like, left Chicago and I left my job and they're fighting, fighting, fighting. But the family business is so important to her and it just dog shit to dad. Yep. But then she's like, wait, my boyfriend just showed up and we turn... Well, they don't turn, but Tabitha sees Jughead in the hallway as he's plucking a rose from the flower arrangement in the restaurant (laughs) and turns around and they make eye contact. This is how Jughead asks for a raise. He could not get a single rose. Maybe they were sold out. It is Mother's Day. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. Remember when I went grocery shopping on Mother's Day, there was like no flowers. And then they put like three bouquets out and people were like fucking vultures. (laughs) Like there was like 30 people suddenly in the flower department trying to grab these three bouquets (laughs) on Mother's Day. And I'm just like there by the checkout like, oh my fucking God, there's going to be bloodshed. Good thing we're right next to the band-aid aisle. Like, So so, uh, Jughead approaches with his flower I forget, is the flower for for uh, Tabitha or for the mom because it's Mother's Day? And that would be like a really nice gesture. I think it's for Tabitha. He okay. gives it to Tabitha because okay. he never even goes and talks to the parents. That's true. Instead, they start singing Hey Number 3 slash Perfect For You reprise. Yes. And what I love is the line that's like, are your parents okay? Well, they might be someday. Like, they're fucking nuts. That's in the original song. <laughs> that's not a change. I love it. And so they it, end up. It means very different thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they end up fucking bolting. Yeah. Jughead never gone. even says anything. Tabitha's like, fuck my parents. They go back to his apartment in the garage and they slow dance and then they smooch. Mm-hmm. And it's very cute. It's very cute. At least somebody's happy in this I, house. I am living for this. I love it. I guess Frank's pretty happy. Frank's having a great time. Eric He's got and his Bingo buddies. are pretty happy. Eric's got a dog, like... Most people in this house are really happy, actually. Veronica, give her the program. I really like it. Hey, number three slash perfect for you reprise uh, is, you know, the end, basically, of the teen couple storyline. It's about them going to a school dance together and, like, allowing themselves happiness. It's sort of like their happy ending song. 
fits, it yeah. fits pretty good. It, it's, I, I don't think it's lyrically changed at all. Maybe, you know, some pronouns. It, it's a solid fit. Yeah. It works for the scene. Uh, so over at uh, Cheryl's, Tony is there, and she's like, it. She she addresses Tony with TTs here for tea time. <laughs> Tony, this is a cult headquarters. Please, Tony, please get out of here. So uh, Tony fills her in on how she's you know got got this kid who has a very similar story to Cheryl with you know the family not taken <laughs> things very well. She needs a place to live, and Cheryl is very surprised that uh, Tony would trust her with a child. And Tony says something that is true, but I will say narrow-minded. <laughs> Quote, I know the huge capacity for love your heart has. And you know what? Fair. Did you also forget the capacity for cruelty and abuse her heart has? <laughs> There's four chambers in that heart. It might be better than her living in a closet, though, under the stairs. The fourth one is maple. It's, <laughs> it's love, cruelty, abuse, maple. The four chambers. So over at the Andrews household, uh, Veronica... Wants to talk to Archie. And she's like, so there's the thing with my marriage. I felt muted, but it like slowly happened. So I didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. But I'm feeling like that again. I don't feel like myself. I think we need to take a, instead of saying a break, she says a beat. We need to take a beat. We need to take a beat. Well, it's a musical after all. She's got to use musical notation. And Ar- <laughs> We have to take a, a whole rest. Maybe a half rest if we're lucky. Well, Archie's like, oh, okay, like... Moving in was probably kind of fast. Like, why don't we just go back to, like, dating and having fun and, like, all we were doing, like, three days ago? Why don't we have sex seven times a day again? And she's like, that's a sweet idea, but we aren't in high school anymore. You're 25. Like, your life isn't fucking over. You can go have a lot of sex with your boyfriend and you have fun. It's fine. Your eggs aren't shriveling up yet. Like, what the fuck? On the one hand, she is right. This feels like them not being in high school anymore. And it's one of the rare times you really get that sense because she is thinking about the future. She's thinking about the life she wants to build. Uh, She's thinking about careers and homeownership and and very practical concerns that you don't have when those aren't your bills. Okay. But on the other hand, it's very high school to be lost in those thoughts and come to conclusions Without saying them, without having the the other side of a conversation and just like filling in Archie's part in your head when you have no reason to trustworthy believe that that's what Archie would say. You know, maybe I'd be handling this plot better if it happened over two episodes, mm-hmm. but I'm like, three days ago, like you had the conversation of let's move in. That's what this feels like. This has been very fucking fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Britta's only been out of the stairs for like a day. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's. You just moved in. You've been living here like two days. You think Jughead told Britta about the place under the stairs? Like, not giving advice, like, not with any intent, but just like he's telling stories about when he was a student back when he still taught English class. Yes. And she was just really paying attention. It's when they were being really mean to him, and he's like, well, I was homeless. Several times. (laughs) Yeah, that makes kids be less mean. Open up your vulnerabilities. And then I shanked a guy. There you go. There you go. Let me tell you about Polly Peabody or whatever the fuck her name was. Penny. Penny Peabody. I carved the skin from her arm. And then the kids shut the fuck up. So over at uh, the Coopers, um, Alice comes down to find Betty there. And she's like, you know, what are are you doing here? Mm -hmm, Betty's mm -hmm. like, oh, I took the record player out of the house. Yeah, it's that's gone. the problem. 
You can't fucking listen to records anymore. The first two times people broke out in a song, we had shots of the record player going. We we had that, you know, diegetic rooting, including, you know, the the warm hiss of of a vinyl record. It's been absent since then. Like, oh yeah, this is what started this, okay. And now it is physically absent, narratively absent. And, you know, Betty tells her mom that, you know, yes, years ago she promised to come back to Riverdale. She broke that promise. But she has a new promise for her, and that's that she's not leaving her alone again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she sings the song A Promise uh, in the show. This is uh, the father answering the question of why do you stay with me and talking about essentially his marriage vows, the promise a man makes. Uh, we lose a lot of this song again, a lot of the context, a lot of the parts of it that are reminiscing about their past together uh, to just get like, I'm making a promise and this is a song about promises. Yeah. And Alice ends up picking up the urn, yes, which is a big, big step for her. And the delusions walk out again for the final time. And Alice talks about how, you know, all she ever wanted was for them to be a normal family. Which cues up the next song, maybe, in parentheses, next to normal. Where they sing about being next to normal would be okay. It's close enough. Yeah, normal is unreachable. We can be next to normal. This is the title drop. This is what it refers to. Yeah. Uh, This is sort of their happy ending. Uh, uh, In the show, it's the sort of bittersweet happy ending, quote fingers, uh, between the mother and daughter in the show, uh, pledging to start anew and, and make a kind of relationship because the mother's decision at this point is to leave the family, to go through her healing journey alone, away from the home, away from the husband, away from the daughter, and then build back from square one with them. Yeah. Well, with her. She's done with the husband. He's fucking gone. <laughs> uh, and so they have have their moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Polly and Charles do leave. The delusions do leave. They actually do, like, walk out of the house. Mm-hmm. Charles in full football gear. Yeah. Polly in her, like, I mean, it's her furry jacket. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a present-day Polly with, like, idealized son I never got to raise Charles. Yes. Uh, so then we're, we're with Tabitha and Jughead at Pops, and they're talking about how the Cooper family decided to have a funeral, decided to bury the ashes and how... And they're dressed, and they're all dressed up for it, waiting for it to start, I guess. I kind of thought that this happened, like, after. I thought so, too. But the scene takes place later, which means maybe the scenes are presented non-chronologically? I think they aren't presented chronologically. I okay. think this is all that evening after. That makes sense, because they're dressed for it. It is nighttime. The memorial is in daytime. Yes, and okay. it's why, like... The people who are hanging out together are together. Yeah, yeah, Like, Tabitha and Jughead are at Pops. Kevin is there, too. Yeah, He's, like, getting food and a coffee, and he watches them being all sweet and, like, holding hands and whatnot. So so then we we go to Fangs and Tony, and uh, Fangs is, you know, telling Tony, like, oh, you did a good thing for Britta. And then, then, then Tony's like, you know, Fangs, I think I love you. And he's like, well, if I'm being honest, I think I love you too. If if this eventually leads to some sort of legal partnership, that would make their co-parenting arrangement a lot smoother, I think. F- like future paperwork, like FAFSAs and things, I'm thinking like down the line. Yeah. Yeah. But this is an interesting and I think rather sweet development that I did not see coming. I did not see this coming at all. And yeah. I do not know how I feel about it. 
I mean, it's it's all about the execution after all, but I'm optimistic. It better be nothing but pure joy and happiness. <laughs> well, the way it isn't is that, you know, Kevin gets his head on straight. He decides to come back home and home is not what he left. Oh, I think that's where we're going. That's where we're the going. The way he was looking we at We get a, a, just a twist in the knife into Kevin that, you know what, might be entirely deserved, Kevin. What the fuck still? Uh, uh, the, the, the place that he thought was waiting for him ain't. Life happens, man. So I'm very torn on this because I really just liked them. Like, I loved their friendship that we've been seeing. Best friend parents. The Yeah. Them and, you know, their their family situation. I just love that, like, non-traditional, we are a family. They were the perfect nuclear family except without a romantic bond. Yes. They, they, they're and- so mutually supportive. They actually, like, have a home life. They get a bigger percentage of their on-screen time at home than yes. anyone else. Yes. And I, again, it'll all depend on how they execute it. I might end up loving it. But right now, for me, this is an awful choice because it almost mm-hmm. diminishes the fact, like, you can't have that yeah, unless yeah. you're in love. You're getting the, like, an extra wrinkle on the When Harry Met Sally thing. Like, can a man and a woman be just friends? No, they're going to smooch eventually. Yeah. Like, can a man and a woman just raise a baby and cohabitate? No. Like, that that's exact. I'm like, well, why, why? Why does it have to be that? They had something unique. The show had something unique that now is not unique. It's not yes. there anymore. And again, it will all depend on how this goes and the direction it goes. But right now, that is why I do not like it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it just, it does not feel good to me. If you take it out of its context, though, and you have the story of these two people who, uh, uh, you know, childhood friends, boy and girl next door, this is the the Archie Betty uh, uh, right off into the sunset story, mm-hmm. but with two different characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they already have a baby. Might as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's not even like, for me right now, like Kevin's not even a factor. Like, ah, whatever. I don't fucking care. Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing about that. It's literally like I've been loving their their family relationship the past yeah. few episodes. It's yeah, been for sure. so good. It's it's like how they just killed Veronica for me. Yeah. <gasps> Over at the Cooper Cooper household, do we get a song? Yes. As Betty turns on lights. This is the big finale of both this episode and Next to Normal. It is called Light, and it is about turning on lights and all of the very symbolic things that means as everyone sings about how tomorrow is a brand new day and they things aren't good things aren't normal but you know they're next to normal they're next to good they are on a path so what we see is alice holding and looking at a picture that betty puts on the mantle but we don't see what that picture is at this point Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh we see archie sitting on the sofa at home we see veronica up in his childhood bedroom packing her things and kevin all alone at pops lonely lonely boy no one wants to sing with kevin Uh, we see tony and fangs being domestic and Smooching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we watch Veronica leave as Archie watches from the sofa. And uh, then we also see Britta and Cheryl playing chess. Britta sings and dresses like a vampire. Britta is totally wearing like one of Cheryl's old dresses. Yes. And I love it. I love it. I just, that right there, I'm like, yes, this. In the previous scene, Tony did say that Cheryl already has her in a cape. Oh, she does. Because the next scene that we go to while they are singing is 
at the cemetery. It is the funeral at the cemetery. It, and essentially it's, a flashback, yeah. Yes, and that this is also why I think it's a flashback, because it is uh, Alice and Yobetti are there right by the gravestone, mm-hmm. and everyone's singing, but like everyone a, else kind of walks up. A gravestone with no years on it. They are denying me my timeline trivia. <laughs> yes. But it's one of those, like, everyone's there in a line singing. Mm-hmm. But that is where I mean, we see Britta in her cape. Yes. She is wearing the cloak. I can see an argument that, that the memorial we see is just non-chronological filming for effect. Or it is not the real uh, or not event. not the real one, yes. It is a... Uh, uh, I think it's like the... It is a representation of what actually happened yes. as... You know, the same way choreography is in a musical number. Yes, it, it is that, that's more what I'm going for, is yeah, that representation yeah. of what happened before, but that it did happen before the previous stuff. Dreamlike, non-literal, but close enough. It's next to reality. Yes. Yeah. And then we go back to the mantle in the Cooper household, and we see that the picture they put up is the picture of the three of them standing next to the Next to Normal poster when they went to see that show before, well, everything went to shit. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The end. It's the last thing that happened before the, like, Riverdale one-shot comic that covers everybody's uh, summer before the first episode. Yes. (laughs) And yeah, that's it. So, darling, what did you think of chapter 94, Next to Normal? I really like this. I... Okay, I did, yeah. not, I did not like Veronica. I like nothing with Veronica. And <laughs> that's, I, that's clear. We know that's that I'm clear. very torn about the way things went with Tony Finks. But otherwise, I really like this. I was incredibly surprised by the use of this musical. Because yeah. I really just did not have expectations. Partly because I don't really know it. But then mm-hmm. also partly because just the concept of it. Like, okay, it fits. But it's a very strange style musical for them to do compared to what they've done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you've made some really strong points about how they could have used songs better. Yeah. But... If this was uh, 60 minutes instead of, you know, 45 minutes in a 60-minute yeah. time slot. But I think it's very strong. I think, yeah. like, it is. it was a very... You know, great way to deal with Alice's trauma and her and Betty's relationship and, and dealing with, you know, the death of his character. And also, like, well, the one, like, a side story I liked of making Tabitha and Jughead's relationship be super fucking cute. Super cute. Super, super cute. cute. Uh, but if you were to rank the, the four big musical episodes on the, the two tiers of quality of the music, the singing that they do... Like, how, mm-hmm. how nice is the singing to listen to? And also, use of the music. Does it support the narrative? Oh, this is the best. Yeah, yeah. This is the best of all those things. Put put those on two axes. This this is the one that, that is, is the, it, the farthest from the origin point, you know? Is it the most fun? Playing John Boyce over here. No. No. Not the most fun. Because it's depressing <laughs> as shit. But is it the most well executed? Yes. I think I think it's interesting and commendable, honestly, that Polly got almost the Fred treatment, you know? Yes. Polly has been not a big character. We go long, long stretches without even seeing or talking or thinking yes. about Polly on this show. But she's been there since day one. She was tied up so much in Jason Blossom's life and yeah. death. Yeah. I think it was it's a really great choice to take the time to say goodbye to the character mm-hmm. unlike how we've handled a variety of other characters no one mourns chat we are dancing on his grave one week later yes. i'm still riding high. so glad he's fucking dead one thing about the way this episode uses music is that 
they tailored the plot to fit the songs they had so well. I mean, just go back one season in time to, to the Hedwig episode, Jesus Christ. It's the absolute perfect opposite. Instead of bending the songs until they break to fit what you have going on. You either make the story fit or you change the words to make it fit. Yeah, yeah. And some of those questionable questionable if if it wasn't cheryl just selling it at her most crazed i would not like that scene very much at all honestly the veronica one's just fucking shit it's just bad just fucking shit but gotta have one i guess but what that ends up doing is like yeah by runtime i still think that that plot the the alice plot takes up three quarters oh yeah it's it's the majority of it but if you were to time us talking about it the littlest probably because the songs speak for themselves and it's just like yeah they have this song is about this and that's what it was they have this emotional moment does something funny happen no uh (laughs) is there an interesting bit of camera work sometimes does that translate well to a podcast no (laughs) it's it's the sort of stuff that doesn't take up a lot of talking (laughs) and you thought though that there was gonna be no funny things in this well, oh, no, no. Well, no, it's just like, yeah, what what takes more time to talk about? They they have this moment, they use this song that is very close to the way it is used in the show, and then we cut. And that doesn't take a lot of time to say, it turns <laughs> no, out. It like, for Bizarre Podcast Dogs Must Die listeners. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug there. When there is a fight that is just two guys actually throwing punches at each other, those episodes fly by because that's pretty much all there is to say. When there is a fight that is this weird eighth dimensional chess match where people are intending to get their own heads chopped off on purpose, that takes a while to talk about. Does, does. <laughs> Normally, this would be when we talk about predictions. Uh-huh. This is another one that's hard to predict from because it's self-sealing, essentially. Well, oh. There's only one new plot that opens, and it's Tony and Fangs. And I guess maybe Jughead and Tabitha is kind of a beginning as well. I think you are totally right that Kevin is going to suddenly try to come back. Mm-hmm. But you can't go back. You, you can't, can't go, go home back. again. You can't go back. So I guess that's a prediction. Yeah, yeah. I have a prediction that Reggie is going to steal the business out from under Veronica. Ooh! He's he's going to to be, you know, the apprentice that slays his master. Fuck yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen, I'll be disappointed because that'd be a lot of fun to watch. You know it would. I do like, kind of like the idea that Reggie's trying to go straight, mm-hmm, trying to mm-hmm. do this right. Like, but what is doing high stakes investment banking right? I don't know. It's screwing everyone over. Yeah, but you know, he's getting the license. <laughs> he's not like... Yes, license to screw. That's he, what he's got. He's not like buying one online, <laughs> forging it. He, you know, he's going through the test. So there's that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a step in uh, the right direction there. Um, yeah, I don't got anything. All right, then let's talk about what we do know is happening. Our next episode, chapter 95, is simply called R.I.P. Oh, yeah. That's fucking ominous. I mean, the prediction I was going to say is, like, someone's going to die. Or they're at people, someone's not going to die, but some people are going to think someone's dead. That would be more unusual for this show. We're not, it's going to be a cliffhanger. We're not going to know if they actually die or not until the next season. Because remember I said there's going to be a big cliffhanger Uh because it's a shorter time between seasons. That's true. And we had our big one and then like, this is the cool down and then, yeah, they can be fancier this time. Do you think our season finale is actually going to be more of a a season premiere of sorts? It's going to be all about setup. 
think it's going to be about setup and then a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, so what we know from this trailer, Nana Blossom tells Cheryl to speak the speech, child. And Cheryl responds, you mean the curse? And we know, <laughs> we know that Pops is going to blow up with Tabitha and Jughead in the parking lot. As, yeah, they, they watch their place of business explode. Well, we, I, th- I think it's the trash bag killer. Either that or someone has a mask made of human skin. There's some creepy masked man on a telephone. Yeah, I think it's TBK. Also, everyone has a lot of guns. There's a lot. They're th- cocking a lot of guns. There's a pair of shot group shots where everyone has guns, and it looks like they are trying to kill Hiram Lodge. I really hope so. There's some I'm sort hoping- of Hiram Lodge lynch mob. I'm hoping it's because they think, or it's because Hiram blew up Pops, oh, and no one fucks with that's, Pops. That's the last straw. Yeah. He has tried to destroy Pops before. He bought Pops once. Well, and, and Tony says something uh, like something drastic needs to happen. And I think that's because like, okay, Hiram just tried to kill Jughead and Tabitha and blew up Pops. Okay, we gotta go take him down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Veronica and Reggie kissing. Finally, God. We see Archie and Betty maybe going to kiss. Ah, uh, that's happened before. Uh, we see Cheryl being burned at the fucking stake. That one's new. That one's new. <laughs> After she's grabbed. She is grabbed at some point by some men. Who will be the next queen of the bees? Juniper. Oh, that makes sense. Britta is regent of the bees. She's the new Nana Blossom. (laughs) Come, little one. I would love to see... Let me show you the ways. Yeah, yeah. uh, Just a title card that comes up and it's like 10 years later. And uh, uh, yeah, Britta has aged 400 years somehow. (laughs) And the twins are now masters of Blossom Hall. Yes. With Britta whispering in their ear. Yes. That is what we know. That's what we know. And I'm really excited. Oh, here's a note. Huh. So apparently the soundtrack to this episode, as we mentioned, there is a soundtrack album. Yes, there always is. It's uh, just over 41 minutes. That's almost the length of a Riverdale episode when you take out the ads. So the soundtrack versions are clearly much fuller versions, not uh, uh, snipped well, to fit both time and plot the way they are in the show. Well, and this was, so the songs are always on their soundtrack albums, like mm-hmm. fuller, but for the amount that they have on, they still couldn't have done full songs. I mean, again, next to normal songs, a lot of them are very short. Okay, so I guess they could have then. Is there much dialogue in the actual musical? Okay, so the the cast album is 89 minutes. They did nearly half the music. Dang. Yeah, those 89 minutes are divided between 48 songs. So the average length, they are short songs. Oh, boy. (laughs) So my guess from this is uh, there is not much spoken dialogue in this entire show. It's an hour and a half of music if we imagine it's a two-hour show. No, probably not. There's 30 minutes of dialogue. Between 30 to 45 minutes if it's, you know, your average runtime yeah. of a stage musical. Yeah, they just go. Yeah. It's, it's nope, no, no dialogue. <laughs> we sing everything. This is Les Mis and Rent. You know, we speak a few things and then we start singing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, thank you all for joining us on another very special episode. Seems to be the only kind we're having lately. Yep. We got flashbacks, we got uh, uh, musicals, we got big action app blockbusters, we got finales coming up. Yep. Everything's special these days. It's also special. So if you want to feel special as well, Mm -hmm. you could leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us. Love them. Love to get them. Love to read them. We got a very recent review uh, uh, on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. Oh, 
Was it was it nice? It was very nice. Oh. Uh, except they do miss the segments, particularly where were they then? We kind of ran out of people that disappeared and weren't dead. Yeah. I missed that segment too. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, you can also follow us on social media at sex underscore Archie. It's a fun place to be. Hang out, chill, make some jokes, have a good time. You can also tell a friend. Tell, tell friend. friends about the show and how much you're enjoying it and why. And that it introduced you to the hottest new musical of 13 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay. You saw Billy Elliot on tour. You were like in tune was. at that time. I I got rush day of rush tickets to see Billy Elliot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was great. I really liked it. <laughs> so with that, I'm Elena. I'm Grant, and from us here at Sex Archie, pass me a loofah.